the Renewed All Up. Today is a special episode because we actually have a guest with us. Um, so my name is Ansha, and then I'm here with... Hi, Rose. And Tasnova. I'm Charmin. So we wanted to introduce our guest, um, Charmin. So she's a licensed therapist and clinical consultant, and... Um, she's going to elaborate more on, you know, uh, what she does. And I also wanted to point out that she hosts uh, workshops that are called Adult Children of Immigrants. And um, they're really helpful in exploring family beliefs and values and identifying different triggers. And then um, she also hosts another group um, called South Asian uh, Women's Group. And she can tell us more about it. Uh, yeah, so we're actually running two groups. Um, one of them is called Adult Children um, of Immigrants. And the focus of that group is to sort of um, work through the complexities of uh, biculturalism and what it means to um, hold space for two very different identities. And um, also like working through shame and guilt, um, identifying your triggers, you know, navigating a really complex what what typically is a complex relationship with uh, between yourself and your parents, um, and helping to hopefully strengthen that relationship. And for the women's group, it's called Chat Masala. That's really just um, a space specifically for women, you know, South Asian women, because we feel like they deal with uh, certain kinds of issues or, or societal pressures that oftentimes men don't have to. And um, it's really just an open space. We talk about everything uh, from politics to balancing, you know, professional and home life, marital issues, um, a whole host of things. Thanks for sharing that. I know with all the work that you're doing, I guess that ties into what we're here to talk about today, which is the stigma against mental health in our community and kind of like how to change that. And I guess a lot of the work you're doing is helping in changing that and a lot of the work that we're doing also with Bengali Mental Health Movement. Um, so I guess today we just want to kind of share our own experiences and even um, or, you know, whatever we're comfortable with in sharing and kind of discussing that topic today. Yeah, thank you guys so much for, you know, shedding light on this topic. I think it's actually one of the biggest reasons why I got into the work that I do is because just growing up, I saw um, how big of a barrier it played, right? Like the like the idea that there was so much uh, stigma around mental health in the Bengali community. And I just like realized I wanted to help people put an end to that toxic generational cycle, right? Those, those patterns. And I wanted to create a space for people who just wanted to do things differently, right? Like I saw the way that it was breaking down people on an individual level and families. And so I was just like, okay, we need, we need to put an end to this. We need to stop. And so that's kind of, that was like actually a really big motivating factor for why I do the work that I do. Yeah, absolutely. Like a fellow social worker to another, I think a big part of why I chose this career is because I saw so much toxicity, whether it's in my family or other people's families, and I couldn't just sit there. Like a part of me, even at a young age, I was just like, no, I can make a difference. I can do something about it, you know? And so, you know, I'm so grateful that one, that Bengali Mental Health was created and then we can make a huge difference. And then also just like knowing that I know you're based in Philadelphia, but there are so many resources out there for South Asians, right? Even specific to Bengalis or even women of color. I think that's incredible that 
if we need it, it's out there, you know, that they, they exist. And that's something like, at least I don't know about it, but I know it wasn't offered to me. Growing up, like I'm still, I'm only just 21 and I'm still dealing with a lot of issues about the stigmas in my family with it when it comes to mental health. Ever since I like decided to be in the psych field, my parents automatically were like, what is this? Why are you doing this? Like you're going to treat crazy people. And it, it was just, it was heartbreaking to have to deal with them saying that every single day and kind of put me down in the way like they kind of don't believe in what I'm trying to pursue. And it was kind of frustrating to have to do with that. And I'm kind of still dealing with that today. But it's just like, I believe in what I want to pursue and that what I chose, the fact that I chose this field, I'm helping others of all colors and of all races. And that's my point of why I am, I want to be a clinical psychologist at the end of this. And I it hurts, but that's the that's the mantra and that's the mo- mo- motivation that I have to keep going. Yeah, I think even in doing all of this and hearing about what all of us are talking about, like it helps us too to know that we have this community now. Like, uh, Pyro's like what you were mentioning. Uh, definitely growing up for me, like I don't remember any resources or even to talk about the topic. Like to even think that the topic was a topic, it was kind of just like, okay, well, this is like how I feel every day, and it kind of feels wrong. But you know, yeah, I know it's wrong, but I don't have any role models or anyone leading the way to show that this cycle can be broken. So I think it's. It, it seemed radical and it still seems radical now and it is because again like even in our community we were mentioning like people were saying you know how can we break that stigma so it, it still exists and you know it's getting better little by little but there's still a lot of work to do I think it's so amazing what you guys are doing um that you know your platform is so different you know and so specific to the Bangladeshi community like there are a lot of bigger umbrella like South Asian platforms out there but nothing um, as specific and so that's really special thank you guys for holding that space thank you I like think about um you know the word just like how to break the the stigma and you know the only way like of course like with research and things like that but for me personally it was trying to and I say trying because you know a lot of times as I think immigrants um, immigrant children or just being in a Bengali American family we're constantly rejected by like what we have to say right like if we learn something it's like well our parents will kind of, will just be like okay whatever like it's fine but really trying to educate my family of like listen like the reason why they're acting this way is because like they're depressed, like they're anxious, like this is an actual clinical disorder. This is not something they can just control by themselves. And then showing, even when I um, got into grad school, like showing my parents, like, listen, this is what I'm studying. This is what's helpful for me. And then even later with COVID, I mean, this was like groundbreaking. I grew up in a family, I have two brothers and you know, it was being one, the trauma of only being the only female in the family, really, like, that's in itself a lot to deal with. But when, when COVID hit, and you know, my older brother, he is an occupational therapist, 
at a nursing home. He unfortunately got COVID. He, he was okay. He was fine. But it brought on all this anxiety for him that he really didn't know how to handle. And for him to reach out to me, his sister, as a younger sister who's a therapist, and asked me, like, hey, I actually really do need help. Do you know anyone I can talk to? Do you know anything I can do? I was amazed. This is not something I would ever see him approaching me with or even asking me about like years ago. Not, I mean, I'm talking like two years even. But that showed me like, wow, you know, even though sometimes they might not acknowledge like my family, like what I do, it's clearly they know that it's making a difference for him to like want to seek help, I think, showed that like that broke some sort of stigma or cycle in my family. And I think what tends to happen in the Bangladeshi community is that we simplify um, something that is actually really, really complex, right? So mental health is not just a, oh, he's just always angry, you know, she's just a really difficult person or that, or that person just wants attention. Um, there are like neurological, biological, physiological factors and pre-existing um, traumas that contribute to or exacerbate um, mental health. Right. And I don't think we use that lens. We don't see it that way. We don't see it in a, I guess, multifaceted way. Uh, we minimize it and we far, you know, far too often simplify it, I think. Yeah, I think when I was learning about everything in depth with mental health and how to seek therapists and just even knowing like who's a good fit for me and things like that I didn't even realize that there were layers to like what you're discussing it did seem like you know because I was so used to growing up in a household where it's either like one thing or the other or like right or wrong and even just in a um in a social setting too like how, growing up it's not recognized like oh, minorities have all of this pre-existing stress and trauma from all of this historical stuff and even current, you know, issues that are going on. So knowing all of that contributes to your mental health, I guess it was kind of like a relief for me almost, even though I know it's not resolved overnight and it, you know, takes a lot of work every day to be intentional with that. But just knowing like, wait, all of these factors like apply to me and, you know, still we're here and talking about this and trying to break that stigma and talk about all this. It just seems insane to me because it's like, wow, we really came a long way. And I guess it's relieving to know, like, we made it this far, even with so many things that were in our way, like things that I didn't even realize were obstacles because with our parents, any obstacle they faced, they just survived through it. It wasn't seen as like, you know, something that would make or break them. It was just like, okay, we have to do it. And this is the way versus for us, you know, we are more likely to pause and think about how it makes us feel and what effects it has on us, like positive or negative. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because it brings up an experience that I went through in high school. I like high school in itself is very stressful. And like when you're in your junior year, um, you're ha you have to go through S the SATs. Um, so in my junior year, I was doing all of that and I had to go to a doctor's appointment. When I went to it, my doctor told me that like, you're kind of showing signs that you have anxiety and I don't know if you want to go see someone about it, but like, it, it would be very helpful to do that. 
after that meeting, like after the appointment ended, my parents kind of laughed it off and were like, what is this? Why would a teenager like you have anxiety? What do you have to stress over? You're a teenager. You don't have to pay the bills. You don't have to pay like taxes. You don't have to do any of that stuff. Like what major stress do you have? And it just... It's so interesting the way that they perceive that because yes, being an immigrant parent coming from Bangladesh and coming all the way here, like you, yes, they have valid reasons that they went through hardships and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's kind of belittling in the way, maybe that's the wrong word, but it's belitt- belittling me because yes, I don't have to go through X, Y, and Z, but I have to go through countless hours of studying, countless hours of preparations, understanding various different subjects. Then I have to take an SATs and I have to do volunteer work and then I need to have all these resumes to have like colleges look at me and be like well who who, do they want me like why would they want me I have to impress them basically but apparently all these things are not things to stress over which was very frustrating for me to try and understand like is and conceptualize if 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 this is all in my head do I not really have anything to stress over but no like these are valid reasons to be stressed and it sucks to not have parents that they can help you and validate your emotions but I can say that I do have an older brother and he was definitely my rock during all those times um but yeah it like that whole concept of them just laughing it off was astonishing to me I'm sure it was like very invalidating for you to like hear that from a professional. And then one, you have to kind of use your parents to even seek a therapist because you're underage at that time. But like, that's not even an option because they don't even consider it an issue. I think a lot of times parents tend to internalize, um, you know, their children needing outside support, right? Like professional support. Um, It's almost like experienced as betrayal. You know, like, oh, we're not good enough. Like, why can't you come to us? Why aren't we um, your go-to people, you know, to help fix this thing that you're going through? And, um, you know, and and that just paired with not knowing, you know, there's almost like this insecurity. Like, what are are you going to talk about in therapy? Are you going to talk about this? Are you going to, like, disclose really personal private information that we work so hard to protect and keep in the family? Are you going to really close that, right? (laughs) And so there's fear um, in that too. It's not like a comparison. The two are not, like, you can do it your own way. Like, just because your parents, you know, did it a certain way does not mean you have to do it the same exact way they did. so true I mean the comparisons and the invalidation and I feel like when I was growing up that's how I would treat other people too like if I heard someone was like more stressed than me but it was like about something that seemed more minor to me I'd be like oh like what you shouldn't be stressed about that you don't have to do the a b and c and then like when you like do all this work and realize like everybody's stressor to them is their stressor and it all matters the same it's like well, like I was living a whole different life before this light bulb went off in my head. Yeah, because think about it, like our parents didn't have the option to talk to someone about their issues. Like that's not even like 
something they would ever think about, you know? And I think about like the first time I told my parents that I need to see a therapist. I graduated from undergrad. It was clear that I was not okay. They knew I was not okay. And, you know, my mom just kept saying things will get better. It didn't, (laughs) you know? So, but then like, I had this realization, like, you know, obviously I'm under their insurance and I just told them like, this is what I need and you guys have to help me. I'm under your insurance. And, you know, they, they did it. They, they actually did. My, my dad like printed out a whole kind of like directory of like the behavioral health for uh, department for that insurance. Um, I was really happy. Like he, he was like, no, I will do this for you. Um, and then when I started therapy, my mom was just like, I don't understand. Like, what do you talk to her about? You know, you can't talk to me. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Mom, I can't talk to you. That's why I need to see someone, you know, with humor. Right. Like, and my mom's like hilarious. Like, so she understands my humor. Um, you know, but it took some time. It wasn't easy. You know, like I really appreciate that my parents even heard me and listened and, said, you know what, if this is the avenue you want to go through, go ahead. And even though they were still concerned, like, oh, what secrets I was talking to them about or my therapist about, like, they still allowed me to go every once a week. You know, she asked me how I was doing shortly after and I did a lot better. And she noticed that she saw the difference in me. That's really like, I'm surprised by that story, because I I have no idea how that would have panned out for my family. Because I think with my undergrad, it like all that, after I graduated, I because in high school, I suffered a lot with panic attacks because of my anxiety. And after that appointment, I like research a lot more about it. And that also comes into play of why I'm in the field that I am. Um, but I like researched a lot about what I can do on my own with managing panic attacks and managing my anxiety. And I, like to this day, thank God, I've been able to manage it a lot better. And yes, I feel like a part of me would be 10 times better if I did have therapy at a younger age. But I think being in the field that I am and being able to learn all these different things of what causes it, how to de-stress and how to manage it, I think that has also helped me. Not to say that like, oh, everyone needs to become a psychologist, but it's just, it's it's also helpful to just research about it if you're in the predicament that you can't kind of ask your parents for therapy or to get you signed up for therapy. Yeah, and I think that, you know, oftentimes our... Um, parents are sort of operating from a place of just like this like martyr mentality and survival mode right so i have no doubt that you know i think our like biology community we're all like really resilient you know in nature and um but there's a difference between surviving and and being happy in your life right like having a good quality of life and i think that's where seeking professional help could be really useful just like creating a separate space apart from your family apart from everything else for just yourself to be able to talk things through to think out loud and create you know a better quality of life whatever that means what however that looks for you with i guess with all the work that you've done so far do you have any suggestions or anything you've seen that works I guess in I guess the opposite scenario where our parents or family members are going to therapy or 
like how to gauge that conversation or maybe there's like a better clinical way or a research way that kind of works better. I know for me personally, like I did have to tell my parents at one point, like a few years ago that like, you know, we were all going through a lot of changes in our family and dynamics and everything. So I did tell them like in order to proceed, like we would need to have conversations from a healthy way. And I was like, I kind of like gave them an ultimatum, which I know is not the right answer or the right thing to do either. Um, but I kind of was like, you know, we're going to need to, you know, seek therapy individually and then as a family to proceed and have a healthy dynamic. Otherwise, like there's no way this is going to proceed in a healthy manner. And, you know, like I know my parents really love me and I love them too. So they were able to just push through because of that factor even though it wasn't for the reason of like, oh, therapy is beneficial and I need it. It was more of that common ground and like, okay, like we're doing it for you. And I was like, okay, like I'll take that because I know it's going to help you individually, even like regardless of me, like, you know, please go talk about your childhood or something. Like someone needs to hear you and validate you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that it, it worked for you because sometimes if you don't have a parent's, um, buy-in it'll just be really superficial and they could even cause resentment towards the person who's forcing them to go or um you know setting limits and um i think what you said was almost like gave an ultimatum um and look like i understand the barriers the hesitancy around you know approaching therapy like i think a lot of um People want therapists who look like them, you know, like brown therapists who understand their life experiences, who understand the um, the trauma and just what it means, you know, to be a Bangladeshi living in the U.S. And there's not a lot of that, right? And so that's like a big turnoff, um, a huge barrier to um, seeking therapy. But my uh, suggestion is to sort of, so it, it's a combination of using vulnerability and also um, building a case, right? So what that looks like is saying, um, using like, using a lot of detail, like indisputable evidence. So that's what that might look like is, you know, mom or Amu, like I noticed that you literally haven't gotten out of bed in three weeks. You haven't taken that walk that you always take every single morning. Um, you're crying all the time and we're all really scared. We're really worried. We're confused about what's going on, you know? Um, and so using a lot of feeling language, right? So it doesn't sound threatening. It doesn't uh, sound like they're being cornered or it doesn't feel like they're being cornered. Um, and also just tuning in, you know, understanding what they're going through, you know, what what is their internal experience? What are their struggles, why are they not wanting to seek therapy, right? What are their specific reasons for not wanting to, and then kind of creating a plan that way, like helping tackle some of these um, concerns that they have. And just saying like, I understand, you know, you can acknowledge and say like, well, I'm still willing to help you. I can maybe connect you to someone. Um, and if that still feels really intimidating, uh, they could always talk to their primary care physician too, like a primary care doctor. You, you always wanna rule out the medical first. So they can look at like hormone levels. They could uh, make sure that it's not um, a matter of like a thyroid issue or something like that, right? So once they've ruled all of that out, um, what they could do even is prescribe uh, medication as a way to stabilize your parent 
um, to the point where they, they will have a little bit more mental clarity. And the hope is that once they do, they'll feel a little bit more motivated to seek therapy. That's the hope. One of our community members asked that similar question of how we can encourage our older parents and family members to try therapy. So it was great that um, Charmin. Yeah, I also think that, you know, working in a clinic now, I've seen what a difference it's made with the volume of people coming in voluntarily versus like involuntary um, referrals. Answered and it. what I mean involuntary, that can be like through the legal system or whatever it is, you know, but the amount of patients we get in our, in our clinic and, you know, some of them from like South Asian communities, which I've never seen five years ago since I've been in this clinic. It's incredible to me that like, clearly something's working. Like the message is getting out there that like, it's okay to seek help. That's really refreshing to hear because Obviously, the statistics aren't just readily available about what you are saying right now. And I feel like it feels isolating to think like, oh, it's just me telling my parents this and that. But then hearing from you like, wow, there's actually a new volume of patients and they're all coming in for help and actually want to discuss voluntarily. It's huge. That is huge. And that's with like the older population. Like, are you noticing that with So I only work with adults. Um, I work in substance use and mental health. I work in an outpatient clinic. And what what we've noticed, um, I I don't know if it's like through COVID or what it is, but we recently had more like a volume of patients in like the South Asian community come in. Whereas like a couple of years ago, I think there was like one or two out of all of our patients. And it's so interesting to like hear their story. But it is nice to see that like, you know, our people are getting help. It's it's great to see. And the hope is that they then go back, you know, into their homes and in the community and talk openly about their experiences and normalize it, right? So that it doesn't feel like this taboo thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's key to talk about and then that's where the taboo will go down from because, again, it's like that whole secret keeping thing. It's also a secret that everyone is dealing with something and has to cope and uh, sharing everything is what is going to help. And even all like what we're talking about right now, it's so vulnerable. And I can't imagine a few years ago that I would be talking to um, three other people and publishing it as a podcast about how I convince people like my parents to go to therapy or that I went like, I would never ever think about talking about that openly. Yeah. I just texted my brother. I was like, is this okay? Is this not going to come back after me or something? And he's like, no, you're okay. Don't worry. You're validated. Go talk your heart out. You're good. And I'm like, okay, I got it. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get shit for it, but it's okay. They'll get over it. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, you know, I think a big part is that we always find that it's like, it's a bigger deal than it is, but then people get over it. You know, people understand like, Hey, you had a story to tell. There's a reason why you have to share that. And I think that's fine, you know, with permission, of course, with consent. I do also want to mention, you know, I think that 
just because you go to therapy doesn't mean that your problems will be solved, right? Like I have a lot of people come to me and say that like, oh, I started, but it's not really helpful. You know, one, it's it's okay to like shop around for a therapist. It's completely fine. You have to find who you're comfortable with. Um, but two, therapy is a journey. It takes a long time for you to share your story 100%, feel vulnerable, comfortable. That's going to take maybe more than a year and that's okay. You might feel like slightly better in six months. That's okay. Um, so just, I would just advise, just be patient. You know, I've been through a couple of therapists and it took me a while to find the right one. So I would really advise like kind of hang in there. Absolutely. And you know, contrary to popular belief in the Bangladeshi community, something doesn't have to be insanely wrong with you to go to therapy, right? Like you don't have to be this like broken person who, oh my God, like needs therapy. Um, stay away from her. She's crazy. You know, like she needs therapy. Like oftentimes that is how it's um, perceived by by people like you can just go to therapy for maintenance too like you might feel stable and you want to talk about setting future goals or you just want to talk about you know how can I incorporate other modes of like healing in my day um, and talk to your therapist about that like there's so many different reasons people use um, or ways that people use therapy and that really varies from person to person so we also have to normalize that like going to therapy does not make you a crazy person or you're not like insanely, you know, un- you're not like un- an unfixable person. Yeah, I think it's also like a belief that you only go to talk about bad things. Like, of course, you're there to help create a plan to like solve issues or like have a new thought process. But even to discuss good things that you can just be validated about is so nice. And it's like, Uh, your own personal space where it's like your time and no one else's and I feel like that rarely happens especially in a world where we're working all the time we're in a pandemic you know we have a lot of relationships other than ourselves to maintain so just having that dedicated space just helps a lot and um so what you were saying about the time frame and to be patient um it's funny that you said that because actually like when I was talking to my parents uh, like a few years ago in the instant that instance that I mentioned, like their first question was, oh, so like how long is it going to be? Like a month, right? Or like two months or like two sessions? I was like, no, no, this is not going to be a time thing. Like it's going to have to be slow and like, you know, just see how it goes. We just let's not think about a time frame first. And I guess it's like with that mentality of like, okay, like there's a start and a finish and we need to know now. And it's like that control over the situation maybe. And then I guess, tying into the fear of like, oh, like, what if we like it and get wrapped up in it? Are we crazy? Like, I don't know. I think um, one of the points that I was going to make was, I think assimilation also is a really big factor in how Bangladeshi people view therapy, right? So I think a lot of people see therapy as very American and engaging in something like that means they're not as Bangladeshi. And a lot of people who come here try so hard to preserve that culture, right? And so it it feels like betrayal to go to a therapist and not a family member and not like an elder in, in the community. Or, you know, I know prayer is also a really big uh, replacement for therapy a lot of times um you know if you come to someone with a problem it's like oh just pray about it and i think that there's a lot of healing in prayer right like i'm not knocking prayer at all i think it's really beneficial Uh, but a problem that 
I feel like people run into a lot is uh, if prayer isn't used appropriately, you know, if there's not a lot of gratitude happening, what happens is people attach really negative meaning to their prayers not being answered. And so what I mean by that is you'll hear people say, um, you know, for example, like, uh, you know, we're doomed, like Allah's not listening because we're bad people, like it's done for us, like our life is ruined, you know, our prayers will never be answered because we're not worthy of it. And so what it does is reiterates and like solidifies these irrational beliefs that we hold. Um, and imagine a kid growing up hearing that, that you're not worthy of like Allah's attention or prayer, and that's why our family's not getting better. That's a really interesting point of view from that. I never really thought of it because I've, um, there was a point where my mom came home from the doctor, another doctor's appointment, and uh, her doctor was saying that um, her uh, blood pressure is really high, so she's she needs to like de-stress a lot. She's stressing way too much, so my mom obviously won't go to therapy. So I kind of just told her like, after you pray like sit down and like sit and just kind of meditate for five minutes and just sit and calm down like don't think about anything don't think about like what you have to cook where you have to go so I kind of thought of like prayer as a good thing but that's also a very interesting point of view to think of it that way because it does it can get very negative with the rational beliefs right and it doesn't have to be one or the other right yeah. you can pray um, and also go to therapy. Yeah, definitely. And I think like another point of like going to therapy is that you're talking to someone and they're giving you a different point of view of something. They're, you're always with yourself every day, 24-7, and you're thinking about and you're ruminating over various different things. But once you say and like spill things out and you listen to a third party who doesn't know anything about your life, they can give you a completely different perspective on your life and your thought process and your actions and behaviors and that you can have like a light bulb and you can think of the world differently. And that's, I think, a great point of going to therapy. So I think breaking the stigma kind of has to start in our own homes, right? So if you have young children, that means openly talking about feelings, right? Like teaching them feeling language, helping them identify or, or put their feelings into words so that they can communicate it to you, you know? And also like normalizing feeling down or having bad days and giving them permission to take a break, you know? And also like modeling, um, I guess, what it looks like to, to ask for help, you know, when you are having those bad days and, and getting a break because I grew up wanting that so badly for my mom and it stressed me out to see her never take a break because what happens is then everyone else sort of holds that stress right and it's like oh my god I feel like at any point she's gonna break and I need to be ready for that um, and so I want nothing more than you know for my child to see me take a break so that I can show up as my best version of myself for her right so it's not even always about me it's always about how I show up for the people that I love. And so it's so, so important to normalize things like that, taking a break, asking for help, talking about feelings and creating an emotional security um, in your own home. I think that's so beautiful and so insightful. And that's definitely something we should all keep in mind and try to practice on a daily basis. Definitely. My three-year-old daughter already knows the difference between frustrated disappointed <laughs> angry wow. she's like Amo, are, you, are you frustrated or are you angry or are you disappointed and I'm like I'm really disappointed right now <laughs> and I'll be like I need some space and she knows like she'll she'll tell me like I'm I need space like she already knows wow. to ask for that and like I, I tell her like when you're upset what do you need do you want to sit by yourself so also like 
giving them options, right? Like teaching future generations that when they do feel these bad feelings, they don't have to feel stuck in it, that there are, they can build a toolkit and develop ways to um, overcome them. I know I'm like that's it's so nice to actually hear that that's happening in a real household versus you know like I read a lot of stuff on how to talk to your future kids or just any other generation and it's just so nice to see that someone we know is actually putting that into practice and it's actually working and that a three-year-old can identify their emotions and you know unfortunately some of us adults still are fine so it really works and helps Well, thank you, Charmin, for joining us. This has been an incredible experience, and I hope our listeners, got obviously they got to know us a little bit better, but also educate you educated a lot of us. So thank you so much for joining. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you guys for um, giving me this opportunity. And, and like I said, it's just so nice for our generation and future generations to have this space that you guys have created. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.